a few months ago, some of our church staff started to do high-intensity interval training or hit exercises after office hours on Tuesdays. With social distancing, we gathered, we set our mats, and then followed our exercise leader to do our workout routine with the goal of becoming fit and healthy. We exerted effort in our exercises to get the most out of it and at the same time, enjoy our time together. One of the things I've noticed over the years of trying to stay fit and healthy is that sometimes it does not seem fair or it does not make sense. I can't accept the fact that some people go on a strict diet and exercise but find it hard to lose weight while there are those who eat a lot and exercise less but remain very slim. I noticed that at times there are people who just finished eating a meal, then after five minutes, they are hungry again. And yet, they still remain very slim. It's hard to understand where the food went. It seems as if some people can have it easy, while others, no matter how much exercise they do and how strict a diet they follow, they just resign to the fact that it is in their genes. They are, they're built and they, just, they are just destined to be healthy. Sometimes there are things that are just hard to understand. We can't seem to make sense out of it. But the question is, what do you do when life does not seem to make sense? Everyone at some point goes through a season where life does not seem to make sense. It may be in the form of losing a job while you are performing well, or a partner leaving you when the relationship seemed going strong, or you studied and prepared for an exam only to fail, or a child is seemingly rebelling when you've done your best as parents to nurture him. It may come in the form of your business when you've followed all the business tips but it seems it's not turning out well. Or you have been watching over your health and then a sickness or an injury or a sudden passing away of someone surprises you. Even mature believers in our church go through this struggle. We pray by faith, we trust God, we sincerely believe but nothing happens. We seem to rely on God but still struggle with the same sins over and over again. And it, it can be a time when God is silent, even when we are spending time in our devotions or our service to the Lord seems unfruitful. You are doing your best for the Lord, but you feel unrewarded, unnoticed, perhaps unappreciated, and you feel disappointed. Many times, life does not go the way we expect it or the way we want it. I believe it is important that we can prepare and know how we can continue to trust in the Lord during such times. This morning, we will study Psalm 73 and learn from Asaph and discover what he did that helped him overcome such situations. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 73 as we study this psalm written by Asaph. Asaph was a Levite who was assigned to be the music leader, or in our terms today, the worship minister 
in the temple of God, according to First Chronicles. He served God through music and also wrote a portion of the book of Psalms, among which is Psalm 73. We don't know what Asaph was going through when he wrote Psalm 73, but it records his journey from believing God's goodness to doubting God's goodness and then back to affirming God's goodness. He struggled with this crisis in his life and he was able to overcome it. But in the process, he experienced pain, he doubted God, he questioned God's goodness, he was tempted to walk away from the Lord, but he ended up learning important theological truths and also praising God. What did he do? How can we trust God and end up praising Him when life does not seem to make sense? Psalm 73 verses 1 to 12, number 1, when life does not make sense, resist focusing on external circumstances. Verse 1, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Asaph begins by affirming a well-known truth, a statement that everybody seems to agree on. He says, truly, surely, definitely, indeed, God is good to Israel, His chosen people, and also to those who are pure in heart or to those who choose to obey God. But in verse 2, notice the contrast when he says, But as for me, yes, I believe that God is good to Israel, but as for me, on a personal level, he says, My feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. What was he talking about? While he understood and saw God's goodness to his people, Asaph felt that personally, he seemed to have a different experience, a different assessment that seems to contradict his theology. That yes, God is good to his people, but for me, how come it feels different? How come that when I look at what is happening in my life, my situation, my circumstances in life, and compare it with others, it does not feel as if God is also good to me. There seems to be a conflict in his theology, what he believes and his experience. And this created a crisis of faith in him which affected his walk with the Lord so much so that it had almost caused him to stumble and to slip or in other words, to turn his back and to walk away from God and his people. Yes, he was a worship leader, a spiritually mature person we would say, but he was not free from struggling in the faith. He was in a serious battleground of whether to continue to obey God or not. We notice in verse 3 how Asaph honestly and transparently shares the issues that had caused him to almost walk away from God. Verse 3, For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He struggled when he started to look away from God he saw how prosperous the wicked were and it made him envious of them. He became unhappy with their current situation and he wanted the success, the good fortune, the good life that the wicked had. 
Wanting good fortune and success is not evil in itself. In fact, God is the one who gives success and we can even use our God-given wealth as a means to glorify God and to do His work. But here, Asaph was referring to the prosperity of those who walk in a way that is contrary to the ways of the Lord, those who embrace sin as a means to accumulate wealth. We think they should be punished for their evil ways, but instead, Asaph saw that they are the ones that are prosperous and successful, while God's people seem to have less. Isn't it true for us as well? We think since we serve God, we are to be blessed and the evildoers should be punished. I serve God, therefore God should bless me. I go to church, therefore I should pass my exam. I attend Bible studies, I, I honor Him and I worship Him. I read my Bible, therefore I should have good health. For Asaph, he was perhaps thinking, I serve the Lord, therefore I should experience prosperity. But sometimes, it does not happen the way we want it to happen. And we start to doubt God's goodness. Asaph's eyes had become so focused on the temporary material prosperity of the wicked that it led him to envy. And he fails to recognize that the goodness of God isn't defined by our material external circumstances. God's goodness is not based on whether or not He gives us what we want and the good life that we all wish for. Asaph struggled as he continued to envy the circumstances of the wicked in verse 4 onwards. And we will notice the issues that he envied about them and that it led him to wrong desires. Look at verse 4. They are healthy and they have an easy life. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Those who do not follow God seem to have an easy and trouble-free life. Their strength is firm, or in other words, they are fat. Now, that is not a shade to anyone, nor is it a derogatory comment to all the wicked. We love everyone here in our church, regardless of our size. It just means that the wicked are fat because they are prosperous. They are well-fed. They have an abundance of food to eat. And, you know, they seem unaffected by the normal, everyday struggles and stresses that are common to people. We common, ordinary human beings, we struggle when there is no work, when there is no business, when there is no money, when economy is bad. We get stressed and we scramble how and where to get food on our table, especially during ECQ. But the wicked, as Asap observed, seem to be free from this. Look at verses 6 to 7. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than the heart could wish for. They can get what they want. Asaph sees the wicked have their pride and arrogance on full display. It is like a necklace. It is there for everyone to see. Whatever you look at, whatever they want, 
things that they dream of, they can get it. But not only that, they also think highly of themselves. Look at verse 8. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks throughout the earth. Asaph observes that the wicked do not have the problem speaking with contempt and making fun of those who are poorer or those who are in lesser positions. They have no problem speaking against God and against God's ways. Perhaps they claim that if you follow God's ways faithfully, you will not be as prosperous as them. That if you want to be wealthy and abundant and rich, don't follow God. Follow their ways. As a result, verse 10, Therefore His people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. They have become powerful influencers. They talk how they were able to accumulate wealth according to their own ungodly ways. And the people who are impressed by them, the people who are who think they are great, they follow them. Waters of a full cup are drained by them. Isn't it true nowadays? No one listens to the poor, of course. No one listens to uh, the followers of God who wants to do it right. But everyone signs up and are interested to listen to the secrets of the rich and the powerful and how they are able to accumulate all their wealth. Look at verse 11. They openly mock God, the wicked. And they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High? Asaph sees the wicked openly mocking God. They say, God does not know, or God will not know. They act without any sense of responsibility or fear towards God. So they feel confident to continue to do their wicked ways. Asaph summarizes the life of the wicked in verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. His summary, the wicked live a carefree lifestyle and they continue to increase in material prosperity. Notice how in all these, Asaph's eyes were focused on other people, on what they have and not on God. He was blinded by material prosperity and he fails to recognize that material prosperity does not define God's goodness and blessings. He was focusing on the wrong things. Many times, we also tend to focus on the external and compare one person, even ourselves, with another person. It happens even in our families. We compare with the number of businesses they have we compare successes, we compare our children and their achievements, and we compare our families with other families, we compare our trips abroad, and so on. Have you noticed that when we focus on the external and compare ourselves with others, we end up feeling frustrated about ourselves? And it brings us to a deadly cycle of discontent, unhappiness, and envy. Let us learn to value God and what He has given us and not focus on what we don't have. God's goodness is not defined by human circumstances and our faith in God must be rooted 
not in circumstances, but in His character. Let us resist focusing on the external circumstances when life does not make sense. Psalm 73, verses 13 to 20, we get our second point. Number two, when life does not make sense, run to God. Run to God. Verse 13, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Unlike the wicked, Asaph had devoted himself to faithfully follow the Lord. He has cleansed his heart and he has washed his hands, meaning to say he has not participated in evil and sin. He has given his best to live a life of integrity before the Lord and before his people. His attitude, his motivation, his desires and his actions were right. And yet he says, this he has done in vain. He has come to a sad conclusion that devoting yourself to the Lord was a meaningless exercise and for him, it did not pay off. It seems as if he wasted his entire life living for something that would not be beneficial for him. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. He was perhaps coming from an expectation, the Old Testament general principle found in Deuteronomy chapter 28 on how God deals with His people. That when one obeys God, blessings follow, but when one disobeys God, curses will follow. And yet Asaph sees the opposite happening. The blessings of the Lord are not given to him. And the wicked seem to get away unpunished. The wicked have it easy, while Asaph, it was difficult. He was living a non-prosperous life of trying to obey the Lord faithfully. His concern is very real, even today. Is it worth it to continue to follow God? Is it any good to live in honesty and integrity and holiness and righteousness and serve God? in our time today. Verse 14, For all day long, Asaph says, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Sometimes you follow the Lord, it's difficult because God actively corrects and disciplines us and we have the responsibility as followers to align ourselves according to God's ways. Sometimes as followers of the Lord, you follow the Lord, you follow God, but you are not as rich as others. You may not be as popular or may not be as accepted as others. I remember many years ago when I attended a reunion, as usual in such occasions, some people would go around and look for familiar faces they haven't seen for many years and talk about what's happening in each other's lives. In one of the conversations I got into, Someone asked me, what am I doing in my life now? He was a non-believer. And so my response was, I work at Grace Church full-time as one of the pastors there. He was surprised at my response. And then he said to me, you won't get rich there because there's no money in the church. Then he left. I was also surprised and shocked. But I was perfectly okay and I understood 
And I understood that at times, as followers of the Lord, you may not be as rich. Even for our volunteers, sometimes when you follow the Lord, there are things that you have to give up to serve Him better. For some, it's giving up late-night activities so that you can wake up early on Sunday mornings to worship or to serve. For some, it's giving up free time or sleep time just so that you can prepare your lessons well, and so on. Asaph feels that at times it's more difficult to follow the Lord compared to the life of those who do not care about God. Because God's primary intention for us is not just to prosper us materially, but more so our sanctification. To align our lives to His will and His ways and to conform us to the image and likeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike the wicked, when they wake up, they are not guilty. They are not corrected. They don't have to prepare for service to God. They don't have to align their lives in a way that honors and glorifies God. They just do whatever they want. Verse 15, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Sometimes we go through pain and we feel none of our friends or our loved ones could understand. Perhaps we feel alone in our battles and we struggle with the pain of silently walking through life when you don't understand. Sometimes there are situations because of your position, perhaps as the head of the household, as a leader, that you can't immediately openly share your crisis to anyone. Asaph was going through a situation like this. He tried to understand and tried to make sense of what is happening around him, but it was beyond his human ability to comprehend. It was way beyond his finite mind to understand. How could God allow those who follow him to seem to have a harder life while the wicked who deliberately practice sin seem to be rewarded with prosperity? I believe that question, even today, is a struggle that is beyond our human minds. Many of us struggle with questions that we couldn't find answers to. Life experiences that we think, is God punishing me? Is there an unknown sin that I need to confess before the Lord? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? Why am I experiencing this? I have been faithful to the Lord, yet why am I going through this? And so on. We have so much trouble and unrest trying to make sense of everything using our human perspective, but we are unable to fully grasp them. Sometimes, life's most difficult questions cannot be understood apart from God. Notice Asaph in verse 17, the turning point of our passage, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I like the first word that was used in this turning point. Until Asaph was troubled and couldn't understand what was happening around him, 
everything did not make sense. Everything was so frustrating until, until I decided that until at, I decided that there was a complete turnaround. There was a change that would not have otherwise taken place if not for this action. It was when Asaph brought himself into the presence of the Lord and communed with God that he began to see things from a different perspective. Notice that his surroundings were not changed. The wicked was still prosperous, but Asaph's heart was. Sometimes faith does not always mean that God changes your situation. Sometimes it means God changes you. Asaph's heart and mind were transformed when he encountered God and he started to see things from God's perspective. As Tim Keller had said, change won't happen through trying harder, but only through encountering the radical grace of God. Sometimes we just need to step away from the business of this world in order to commune with God and to hear Him speak to us. Verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. That's the only time when it made sense to Asaph, when he stopped looking at others and he started to look at God. Then he understood. Asaph was transformed. Asaph understood their destiny. Verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Yes, the wicked may seem to get away with their evil deeds and violence, but they are on slippery places. They will not stand long. One day, they will fall off. They will be destroyed together with the prosperity they gained through their sinful ways. And they will discover that everything that they had lived for their whole lives will not matter and will not last eternally. Though they prosper for the next 10, 20 years, but their prosperity will only be temporary. It will only be like a dream, short-lived. And when God awakes, their prosperity is gone, and the Lord shall hold them accountable for all the deeds that they have committed. God does not have to punish the wicked now. He may be sleeping today, He may seem to be sleeping today while allowing the wicked to get away with their sins and to prosper. But there will be a time in God's wisdom, power, timing when God will deal with them and punish them and hold them accountable for all the sins that they have done. Sadly, the wicked will find out that this life here on earth is not everything there is. There is also eternity. And what they have lived for their whole lives on earth are things that do not have eternal value and will put them in a position despised by the Lord. So why should we envy the prosperity of the wicked 
when we know that God will punish and hold them accountable in His own timing. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Francis Chan said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Asaph finally understood that what he had desired is something would, that would not hold value in, eternal, in eternity. It was when he decided to enter the sanctuary of God that the turnaround in his life took place. Last Christmas, we bought an air fryer for us. I've heard a lot of good things about it and how convenient it is to use one. So I decided to buy one as a Christmas gift for my mom, although I'm the one using it all the time. Since it's, it's a new equipment in our house and it's new to me, I quickly looked at the instruction booklet to know how to use it properly and what to do when it's broken or when I accidentally break it. I noticed, I think this is also true for all appliances, I noticed that when it is broken, it says, contact the manufacturer. And the reason why the manufacturer would, would prefer us to call them first is because they are the manufacturer. They know about their product and they know how to make it work. You know, it is God who created us and gave us life. And if we are to know how to properly live our lives, we are to learn it from Him, the Creator Himself. Friends, when life does not seem to work or to make sense, go to the manufacturer. He is waiting for you. When life does not make sense, run to God. When we run to God, we will find understanding. I want us to notice an important attitude that is evident in Asaph as he entered the sanctuary of God. It is one of humility and submission to God. I believe this is crucial as we allow God to change not only our, pers our perspectives, but our whole being. As Asaph began to discover the terrifying destiny of the wicked, look at how he shifts his focus to his own heart. And he admits how foolishly he was before the Lord in Psalm 73, verses 21 to 22. This is where we get number three. When life does not make sense, rely on God's guidance. Verse 21. Thus, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He begins to see that the real problem was not that the wicked was prospering, nor was it about God who seemed inactive and silent, nor was it about how hard it is to follow God, but rather the real problem was his heart and how it has become grieved and bittered before God. When you are full of bitterness and envy, you see things differently, and this has affected the heart of Asaph. When he considered the prosperity of the wicked as something to be envious about, 
that God seemed not worth following. He was so foolish and ignorant. As if he did not know the truth, he acted like a beast or like an animal before the Lord. He did not think. He only acted on his instincts. He realized that when we allow ourselves to be controlled by the temporal material prosperity of this life, we tend to act like animals before the Lord. We act only on our instincts to satisfy our immediate cravings, at times even at the expense of our own integrity, and we disregard what brings glory and honor to God. Notice the sequence Asaph experienced that that led to a better heart. It started when he began to look at others. Then he became envious at their prosperity. Then he doubted God's goodness. Then his heart became bitter and he acted foolishly and ignorantly to the point that he behaved like an animal before the Lord. You may ask, how do we act like animals? Here in Quezon City, we see some stray animals uh, in the streets and sometimes I'm shocked and our holiness is disturbed whenever we find or whenever we see them finding a partner randomly and doing their thing. Or sometimes they just urinate or defecate anywhere, anytime they feel the need to. They act on what they feel at the moment. Or sometimes when our friends are impolite or rude or when they act inappropriately or immorally towards others, we call them pig because they display a very low and a very minimal sense of morality and fear for the Lord. When we forget God and we focus on the temporary pleasures of this world, we we can be tempted to foolishly act like animals. Sometimes even when you're married, but you want immediate excitement, so you engage in illegal relationships or extramarital activities, not realizing that this decision would cost you your family or your marriage. Or sometimes you want to get rich quickly, so you do illegal, ungodly practices just so that you can earn more. But this time, at the expense of your own integrity or testimony as a believer. Or sometimes you cheat just so you could get an easy way to pass an exam not realizing that this decision could actually get you in trouble in your future work. How many foolish things have we done because we itch and we want to immediately satisfy the temporary lustful desires that we have, at times even at the expense of the things that are important to us? This is what happens to us also many times when we are driven by our own selfish desires. Instead of focusing on God, we have the tendency to behave like animals. That is why we need to be humble enough to admit that we cannot rely on our own wisdom and ability and submit to someone, God, whose plan and intention for us is good and who stays with us all the time. 
Look at verse 23. Look at how God, how good God is and how God still was with Asaph even when he acted foolishly. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by the right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. I like the word nevertheless. Asaph realized that in spite and despite of how bitter and foolish he has become, even though he doubted and questioned the goodness of God towards him, nevertheless, God was continually with him. God never left his side. What an amazing picture of God's unconditional love towards us. He holds us. We are inseparable from Him. His love is not dependent on what we do or what we feel, but on His loving and gracious character. It re-echoes Romans chapter 8, verse 38. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Asaph begins to acknowledge God's guiding work in his life. Notice, God is with him continually. He holds him by the right hand. He guides him with his counsel and he will receive him into glory. As he communed with God, God allowed Asaph to see and appreciate God's work in his life. God holds him by the hand. It pictures the security that we have in God. God will never let us go. He may seem silent and inactive in our lives, but He is holding us. He also guides us daily with His counsel. And His plan for us is always good, no matter what we feel and experience. And it will ultimately lead to glory. Our feelings towards God may change, but His love and His good plan for us never changes. We see clearly in Asaph that when we rely on our own, we end up bitter and sour. But when we rely and submit to God, we end up in glory. Around three to four years ago, I started getting back into collecting NBA sports cards. It was something back in the 90s and I was a basketball fan and collecting NBA cards became something that I was excited about. I started buying and building a collection of my favorite players. I would actually spend a good amount of money, of my money, just to get the cards that I want. I would buy and then I would sell or trade part of my collection so that I could buy more cards. Last year, during the pandemic, there was a great, great hype about NBA sports cards and a lot of people uh, went back and started buying and collecting as well. This hype brought the prices of the cards and prices of the cards to go up in value. There was high demand and limited supply, so the prices of the cards went four, five, ten times higher than what it was three to four years ago. Everyone seemed so happy with, with what was happening with the sports card hobby, except for me. This actually brought some regrets in me because I had already sold much of my collections since I needed funds for other things. 
I was so full of regrets and I couldn't get over it, thinking that I had made the wrong decision, that I should have kept most of my cards because it had increased in value today. There were times that I'd wake up at 3, 4 a.m. and the thoughts on my mind were about how foolish I was and uh, what could have been and uh, what ifs. Of course, I didn't talk about it with other people because it might come across as petty because it's just NBA cards anyways. But I was suffering from regrets, from disappointments, and a hint of bitterness towards myself until one day, I did not ask. One day, someone in the church office gave me an NBA sports card memorabilia, a miniature locker room of Michael Jordan. And I thought, what are the chances that in the church office, where spiritual people are, where people are supposed to think about God only, that someone would randomly give me an NBA sports card memorabilia at a time when I was thinking foolishly about myself. That day, I learned that God was looking after me. And I began to realize that I was never alone even in any of the difficult moments of my life. God's eyes was clearly on me and I can trust Him. Friends, God continues to guide us even when we go through the difficult moments of our lives. He is also guiding you and we can trust Him completely. When life does not make sense, rely on God's guidance because His plan for us is always good. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28. Number four, when life does not make sense, reaffirm God's purposes in your life. Asaph's whole perspective has changed a 180-degree turn has happened in his life. He has encountered God's goodness, and now he has properly evaluated what is truly worth desiring for in this life. And he has come to this conclusion, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As a response to God, Asaph joyfully expresses that God is far greater, more valuable, more desirable than any prosperity of the wicked that he had previously desired. He has realized that there is nothing more valuable enough in all of heaven and earth that can even be compared and to be desired for other than God and knowing Him. Everything becomes second to God. Even in heaven, when all, where all the good things are supposed to be, nothing can be compared to the greatest, God Himself. You know, when one has seen and experienced the goodness of God, the only appropriate response is a heart that is satisfied. A heart that is grateful and a heart that is ready to worship. I believe this is an evidence of a heart that has been transformed as a result of one's personal encounter with God. On the other hand, you can be as rich, as prosperous, as successful, but never experience satisfaction and joy in life. Because there is no real and lasting joy and satisfaction apart 
from God. Everyone wants to be successful in this life. But the question is, what is that success? Is it having a lot of money? Is it having big income? Lots of cars? A new business? Big house? Good work? New house? A beautiful family? Is it being able to travel all over the world? You can achieve all those and still remain unsatisfied, unhappy, unfulfilled. Why? Because in the end, God will not be asking how much money we have or how many cars we owned. Material things will not be able to satisfy us because that is not our purpose here on earth. That is not what our Creator had designed for us to do. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Westminster Catechism answered, What is the purpose of man? It says, number one, in, in their first statement, The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We were created to enjoy an intimate relationship with God. It is only when we worship God and desire Him above all else that we will discover the greatest joy and satisfaction that we all long for. Look at Asaph in verse 26. He continues, My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is one of my favorite songs, actually. Our hearts and our flesh are bound to give up and fail and quit. There will be times that we want to give up, want to stop following God, but those who trust in God will find strength. God will enable him to live a joyful and faithful life even when life seems difficult. God will be his strength It is God who will lift him up, who will enable him to overcome challenges, who will help us when we need help, who will be our comfort during difficult times. It is God who will love us unconditionally. It is God who will be with us at all times, who will never leave us nor forsake us. If we have God and He will help us in everything, what else should we need? and desire for in this life. Perhaps Asaph can joyfully claim with Habakkuk 3, 17-18, Though the fig tree does not bud, though there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields pr- produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Psalm 73, verse 27, For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Asaph ends with a threefold affirmation of God's purposes in his life. It is to draw near to God, to trust in the Lord, and to declare his works. Asaph understood what is good in this life, which we should pursue and put effort on. 
it is not the riches and the prosperity, but it is to draw near to His God and to cultivate an intimate, loving relationship with Him. Notice the contrast again. Those who are far from God, those who are unfaithful to God, those who desert God for harlotry or for something else, they shall perish. The wisdom we get now from this conclusion is we now know what is good and what is not good in this life. To draw near to God is good and to be far and unfaithful to God is perishable or punishable. I am sure sometimes following the Lord may be difficult. It may not make sense, but it is only when you trust in God's ways that you can experience the third one, that you may declare all God's works. The only fitting response as we have experienced the goodness and grace of God is to trust Him more and to tell others about how good He has been in our lives. And this is what Asaph did. And this is what I believe we should also do. Earlier this week, basketball sports fans witnessed one of the most impressive championship games, championship championship game performances in history. As the Baylor Bears men's basketball team blew out the undefeated Gonzaga 86-70 to win their first ever NCAA national title. As I watched the team celebrate after winning the championship game, what impressed me more was their head coach, Scott Drew, who is also a believer of Jesus Christ. While everyone on the team was celebrating, he gathered them into a circle on the center court where they kneeled and said a thanksgiving prayer. Coach Drew what was visibly seen pointing upwards, seemingly giving credit to God, And at the video, you could hear loudly someone shouting the name, Jesus, giving praises to the one who gave them victory. During the post-game interview, Coach Drew said that he espoused a culture of joy, J-O-Y, in their team. And it meant Jesus, others, and you, which he believed is the order of priorities that will result in the true joy of our lives. How wonderful and how true it is that when we live with the purpose of God at the forefront of our lives, we can experience true joy, true and lasting joy in our lives. Friends, when life does not make sense, reaffirm God's purposes in your life. Worship Him, draw near to Him, Trust Him and declare His great works to all people. In the end, we see transformation in Asaph. He started with doubting God's goodness and ended with a deeper, stronger, personal conviction in God. His envious heart became a heart that relies on the Lord. His heart for prosperity became a desire for the Lord. His confusion became clear understanding and his life's purpose was reaffirmed in God. 
What was the key to the turnaround? It is verse 17. Until he entered the sanctuary of God. It was when he decided to run to the Lord, to commune with God, that his life began to change. Like Asaph, some of us listening or watching might be in a season of doubting, of giving up, or falling away, or quitting. Perhaps because life is difficult many times. We understand that business is hard nowadays. There's trouble in the family. We understand that careers might not be working well. Health might be deteriorating. Or maybe you're just scrambling to, find, to, to provide food on the table. Let me just encourage you, all of us, to not lose hope. As long as God is there, there is hope. Friends, may Psalm 73 be God's reminder for all of us that when life does not make sense, or even when it does, we have a loving God. And we can always go to God and see life from the perspective of eternity. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Remind us of your constant presence that stays with us every day. Many times, we are overwhelmed. Our hearts and our strength will fail. There will be circumstances that will be challenging for us. O oh Lord, we need the strength that comes from you, the strength that you alone can provide. May you empower us to firmly trust in you as we continually and regularly find you in the sanctuary to commune with you and to worship you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.